when Billy called me yesterday, uh, and I made sure a couple things were straightened out, and I said, okay, called you back, so we're good to go, everything's great. He said, so, how are you feeling? I said, honestly, probably more nervous than I have been in a long time, because uh, a lot of the things I do now are mostly geared around hot springs and, or Benton, uh, not near so many things in Malvern, and when you come back to where you grew up, you look out and you see faces, you're going, okay. Matter of fact, Glenn, I'm really glad you're the one to introduce me because there's probably a lot of people up here that would have made me really nervous if they had a guy up here to introduce me. They're like, oh, I don't think there's really anything too negative they could have said. But, you know, every now and then you wonder the back of your mind going, what story do they remember that you've forgotten? Uh, this morning we will be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, while you're turning there, uh, one of the things Billy told me uh, to do is... Um, these days, I'm actually the campus minister for the Baptist Collegiate Ministry. Uh, for those of y'all that have been around a little bit longer, I go back to like my age in college and before, it was the Baptist Student Union. And so I'm over the Baptist Student Union, the Baptist Collegiate Ministry at National Park College and College of the Washita's. Uh, and I'll go and tell the sound guys that I just have this effect on technology that I can make it do all kinds of crazy things. So you let me know what I need to do and we will get it done. Um, so I'm at College of the Washington College, one, one and a half days a week, National Park, the other three, and a chance to really pour into the lives of our college students uh, at our two community colleges here locally. Uh, the, other, the other thing that most people don't know about community colleges is community colleges contain 40% of the college students in Arkansas. And so if we don't, if we ignore reaching students on those campuses, we're ignoring 40% of the college students in Arkansas. And I, I, that's not one of those things that I want to stand before God one day and go, yeah, I ignored 40% of the people that were around me in my community. So I um, had this great opportunity. We meet at College of the Washita's every Tuesday around lunchtime. Um, our main meeting in Hot Springs is on Wednesday afternoon. And we're looking at other ways just to connect with students so that we have those opportunities to share the gospel with them. Uh, and the thing is, is opportunities look completely different depending upon what campus you're on. Uh, we've had one campus minister that just in the last couple months has shared the gospel with Scotty Thurman, Archie Goodwin, who's right now currently NBA player, Joe Johnson, and Joe Klein. And I think that probably hits about three generations right there of just basketball players that because of the areas and people he hasn't come in contact with, he's had a chance to share the gospel um, with some who have no faith at all and some who have faith that's a little misguided is probably the best way to put it. Um, the thing is, is, we never know who's on our campus at that moment. We share the gospel with them and who knows, God may take them to uh, pastors of churches and maybe leaders within states. And the great thing is the number of international students we have coming on different campuses around the state, we have a chance to share the gospel with people who will then go back to their home country taking the gospel into borders that we are not allowed to cross into. So really, when you start looking at college campuses, we, are, we have open access to people that will hopefully be great missionaries taking the gospel where we're not able to take it. So continue to pray for us on campus. Uh, continue to pray for the leaders on campus, um, from Dr. Rook and everyone else that's there as um, transitions are taking place and everything else that uh, we will continue to have this great opportunity to to share the love of Christ with those we come in contact with. As I said, this morning we're in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the prayer life of Hannah, uh, a, warrior, a prayer warrior for today's culture. Um, when I think just about what God wants to do around us, 
Uh, I think we could all, if we just kind of gathered in, you know, in huddles, we could all agree that God wants to do incredible things in the world today. That we still live in a time where, you know, we read things from the Old Testament, we read things from the New Testament, we're going, well, we don't necessarily, why don't we see that happen in, you know, in Malvern, Arkansas now? And I'll, be, I'll just begin today by saying I think one of the reasons may be we may need to stop and look at what does our prayer look like? What is our prayer life like? And are we spending the time before God so that he can do what he wants to do and just open up the storehouses of heaven and pour them out upon us with great blessings? So uh, if you will, this morning, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. And I will go ahead and just preface this first couple of verses are those ones that everybody loves to read with a really long, great name. So... Let's bear with one another. There was a certain man of Ramathium and Zophium, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, son of Eliehu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, the Ephra- Ephraithite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peniah. Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to get up year by year from the city uh, from his city to worship and to sacrifice uh, to the Lord in the house of Shiloh, where the two sons, uh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Phineah, his wife, and to uh, all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. And often as she went up to the house of the Lord, so she, uh, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord, and all the days of his life no razor shall touch his head. Let's pray this morning. Father, we ask that your spirit be here this morning, God, that you, your spirit come and just bless the reading of your word. God, that there is freedom to move this morning. And God, that our hearts are open to listen to what you have to say. God, I I may be here, but that's not important. What's important is that your presence is here and your spirit is speaking to us. And God, as we hear, may we react and may we respond and be obedient to the call of your voice. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's just kind of set things up before we come up through and finish out the rest of Hannah's prayer and what Eli saw. But we, here we have this one man, faithful man of God. He goes every year to the temple, offers a sacrifice. But if there's one thing he's got wrong, it's he has two wives. And one of them has children, the other one that does not. And the one that does loves to bring grief upon the life of the one that doesn't. It's funny how when you get things out of the perspective of where God wants them, then all of a sudden it's really easy for one to bring grief upon the other. A competition ensues, and all of a sudden when a competition comes, you tend to have somebody who wants to have a winner and a loser. It doesn't really matter what the competition is. You know, we could have, you know, local football team. Two football teams show up at a football field, 
you're going to have them compete, and only one of them is going to walk away the winner, unless it's a non-conference game and they don't have ties and whatever. But otherwise, you're going to have a winner, and you're going to have a loser. Uh, one of my nieces was in Disney last weekend. Her squad made the finals of a cheer thing. They did a flawless routine, I was told, and finished sixth in the nation. But they weren't first. That's what they went there for. You have people compete. You want to walk away with that one trophy that says we were the best. We're number one. And here's what you have in this family is you now have these two wives and one of them fighting for the attention of her husband because as we read, it said that her husband loved Hannah. You have this competition take place that, well, I will point out the areas where it appears that I am the better wife. And it said that she brought grief upon Hannah. Not just for a little while, but year in and year out. And really poured it on when they went to the temple. Now, I do want to stop just for a moment. And I'll point out that while it, it says that God had closed Hannah's womb. That there was a reason that she couldn't have kids and it was directly from God. And I know that anytime you talk to a large crowd, that there are people who either may be struggling with this, have struggled with this, that as we look at Hannah's faithful prayer, that don't take that as a sign of going, well, I've prayed too, and why hasn't God answered my prayer? What we see is that God answered Hannah's prayer in God's time and for God's glory. And so this is not something that, you, you know, a message today where you should feel any shame or anything else. Matter of fact, we'll join you in prayer for those desires of your heart that God tells us to lay out before him. But here what we do is we do have a wife. And in that day and in that culture, children were, were a sign that God has blessed you. Today we have so many other ways to look and see how God has blessed us. But in those days, children were a primary factor to say, hey, look how God has blessed this one. And so I can only imagine the comments that came Hannah's way is, well, he may love you more, but look how much God loves me. Oh, Hannah, you know, if God really loved you, I mean, if there wasn't something happening in your life, well, you can only imagine what God would do for you. And with every comment that is made, there's these deep jabs that go just a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. And so the year, year finally comes. They're at the temple. Her husband has presented her with a double portion. You know, that blessing that is when we see double portion other times in Scripture, it was oftentimes the blessing to the firstborn. You know, my favorite, the one with the great inheritance. And so here it is, he presents a double portion to his wife. And yet she doesn't want to eat. She's left thinking, you know, I'm here. You've passed out the food. You've given me more, but there's no one to share it with. There's a desire in my heart. There's a great need that I feel that I have. And so when she realizes this incredible need that she has, she goes back to the house of God and she just begins to pray. And she prays the prayer, and we read it just a moment ago. It says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will you give your servant a son? Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. That last part, and I will dedicate him to your service. God, if you will just give me this son that I so desire, I'll give him back. Now, now two things here. One i got a feeling this is probably a practice Billy is really glad doesn't happen in the way that it took, takes place here. Um, 
having people pray, God, if you'll give me a kid, we'll give him back and bring him to the church and say, yeah, he's weaned. Good luck. Um, I hear diapers are expensive and stuff, but hey, I prayed to God and I'm just being obedient. Uh, it's kind of a practice that's a little bit different than in those days. But what we really see here, she comes and says, God, if you do this, here's what I'll do. It's a covenant. If you act in this way, here's exactly how I'm going to act. God, I, I make this covenant to you today. And I think when we see the faithfulness of Hannah, we see that it isn't offered the way some people like to offer covenants to God in times of distress today. The number of people who have sat in a hospital next to the bedside of somebody who's really sick and said, God, if you'll heal them, I will never miss another day of church in my life. Really? The day that you show up with type A, B, and then you somehow you find type C flu, and you go, but I made a vow to God. If I have to kill everybody with the flu, I'm going to keep that vow and show up at church. No, you're, you're going to, something's going to happen. You very likely will have something come up and miss. But tr you, truthfully, really most people, when they offer that vow, they're offering it just as kind of a, they're not, they have no intention of keeping it, at least not beyond that first month. God, if you will, then I'll do this. As a matter of fact, it's something that they had seen God tell them. If you will follow me, I, you know, I will be your God. You will be my people. But when you quit following me, I'll turn you over to your enemies. These are covenants that they had seen before. And so here it is. Hannah is calling out to God and said, God, that's just what I desire. She did not yet have the verse later on in Scripture that says, you know, that God wants us to know just the desires of our heart. She was doing that long before that had been recorded in scripture. So here it is, she cries out, in the process of crying out, and here's Eli sitting here watching this whole thing, and I love this part of it. If you look, as we continue in verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Hannah answered, No, my Lord. I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have neither drunk wine, I have neither drunk wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel will grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. You know, there's a few things I really want to kind of point out this morning. The first one we just kind of briefly talked about was that Hannah recognized that she had a need bigger than herself. She had tried everything she could to have a kid. She had hoped for it. She had wanted it. You know, her husband, it said her husband loved her. Everything that she physically could have done had been tried, had been hoped for. And she realized that, you know what, this need that I have is bigger than me. Thankfully, Hannah realized one other thing too, that she had a God that was bigger than her need. And that's where we see her in the temple praying. Praying so fervently and so passionately that Eli looks over at her and thinks, Oh my goodness, who let the drunk person in church today? 
But before we jump on Eli too much of going, Eli, come on. Just because you didn't raise your two sons well is no reason to give up here. What would we think if we had somebody who came in, you know, in the middle of service that we didn't recognize, just came and came down to the altar and just began sobbing so much that you had a whole stair, you know, stair that was just covered in tears? First thought's going to be, oh my goodness, where's our security? Where's that safety team that's supposed to stop these people before they get to the front? And I uh, wonder who's going to have to go talk to them, because I hope it's not me. That tends to be some of our first thoughts, is if somebody were to have this kind of desire before God to pour out every bit that is within them. I mean, have you ever been to the spot where you were praying and the words were hard to form? You knew in your head exactly what those desires of your heart were, but to get from here to here was almost impossible. And so your heart is just praying. Your mouth may even move, but there's nothing that actually comes out. That's where Hannah was on this day. And Eli goes, what is wrong with her? You know what? I've also seen it happen in church where somebody has an encounter with God and their life is turned upside down. They are passionate about God. They want to know more about who God is, about his love. They are telling anybody and everybody what God has done in their life. And those of us who have been in church for many years look and go, what is wrong with them? When truthfully, our reaction should be finally. When did I lose what they have right now? Where is that passion within my heart? Now, to fully understand this, you know, the relationship here between Eli and Hannah, you have to realize that Eli is about to be told that Eli has, has been, had the responsibility of his two sons to raise them up to be the future priests of Israel. And God's about to let him know, you've done a horrible job. Your sons, it's about to, you're about to die. Your family's about to be wiped out. Leadership has not done what leadership should have been doing. To the point that when a lady comes in passionately down before God, it's hard to recognize that they're having a conversation with God. We can easily overlook what it's like to be close with God when we've just kind of continued to go through motions. But here's the thing is, she came before God, she knew that he was bigger than her need, and she didn't just, you know, say a quick prayer and walk out. Matter of fact, it reminds me of something similar to uh, what was recorded in Luke. Luke chapter 11, after Luke goes through and kind of gives a short recap of the Lord's Prayer. Does a recap in verses 1 through 4. And then in verse 5 he says, And then he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine arrived yesterday on a journey, or arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will not answer him, uh, answer from within. Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get, to get up to give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give you anything because he's your friend, yet because of your impotence, because that you continue to knock, because of your persistence, he will rise and give you whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Hannah's here before God, and she knows that, you know what, this isn't a one-time occurrence that I've been... I have this grief laid upon me that this has been a part of who I am. This shame, this agony. And here she is persistently pouring out before God. Year after year. Now this year she has come to the point of making herself even seem crazy before God. And I love the fact that even like um, David is known to have made the comment that, you know what, I will dance before the Lord and be even more undignified if that's what it takes to show my joy and celebration for who God is. Hannah's like, I don't really care what Eli thinks. It's me and God and that's it because there's a need that only he can answer. And here's the great thing is she gets up, clarifies the whole situation with Eli, and Eli looks and says, all right, may the Lord give you everything that you've asked. May you find what God, what you've inquired of God. When you read the rest of 1 Samuel chapter 1, you find that, you know, well, and let me not skip over verse 20. It says, in due time, uh, no, verse 18. It says, and she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way, ate, and her face was no longer sad. That's a verse that's really easy to pass over, but a very important one that when you Spend time with God. When you lay all those burdens down and leave them at his feet, there's a peace that only comes from God that comes over you. And where she went from unable to really eat much when that double portion was given to her, unable, unwilling to eat at that point, here she is, she gets up from spending time with God and it says that she goes and eats and her face is no longer sad. That peace overcomes her knowing that, hey, I have been in the presence of God and laid it all down before him. The next two verses are after that says, and then she, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Not only do we see that Hannah had a need that was bigger than herself and that she had a God that was bigger than her need that we then see that the Lord answered, but he answered in his time and for his glory. Because when you fast forward and look at the life of Samuel, Samuel became that first major prophet in all of Israel. He was the one who stepped up and took over the priestly duties when Eli's sons had died. When Eli had died, he then was the priest. He was the prophet that went out. He eventually became the one who anointed both King Saul and then King David. At a time in history where before there had not been any kings in Israel other than God, that God needed the right person at that right time. He also needed a mother with the right heart. Because when the time came when Samuel was weaned, it wasn't the first year when they went back to the temple, but when the time came where the boy did not need her to physically take care of all those motherly duties with him. She then took him back and gave him to Eli. 
to be raised and taught to, to be a priest in the house of the Lord. As a single guy with no kids, I can only imagine from thinking about nieces and nephews what that would be like for a mom who has longed for this child. God has greatly blessed them and comes and says, Son, you're now to learn under Eli. Cool, Mom. Yeah, so then I go back home with y'all? No, son. We'll come and see you once a year. I'll bring you a new coat. But you're to learn and to serve God. And then she and her husband then go home. But truthfully, isn't that where all parents are asked of God to do? Raise up your kids and release them to serve the Lord. It may not be quite that young of an age. But you know, the, the parent who, I had a parent that I talked to a couple years ago. Um, it was a church that was getting ready to go to Africa. A uh, team was going on the mission trip. And I was talking to this mom. Thankfully, I knew her well, because otherwise, there's some things that come out of your mouth that if you don't know the person well, you're not sure if you're going to leave that situation alive. This was one of those, thankfully, I knew her well enough. And we're having a conversation. And she mentions that her daughter, who at the time was in fourth grade, really wanted to go with them to Africa, felt that she should go to Africa. And we're having this conversation, and that comes up, and her, the mom looks at me and says, with all sincerity... But I think I should go first and make sure it's safe. Because as her, as her mom, it's my job to make sure she's safe. And one of those moments where something pops out of your mouth before you really have a time to filter and go, is this wise to say this right now or will you die? The words that came out of my mouth when she said, it's my job to keep her safe, I said, is it? As a parent, it's, or, you know, it's a, the job of a parent to raise the children to follow after the Lord. To take care of them. Yes, if they're going to put their hand on a stove, it's also your job to say, don't do that. But at what point, once they give their life to Christ, is it our job to say, no, you don't need to follow him? Not unless it's safe. There are lots of missionaries who have gone, who have gone places if they had parents that were going, mm, let me go check and see if it's safe, never would have gone. We, as Christians, have come to like our safety and our comfort. And I think sometimes the things that we see around us are a result that we're not bold enough to step outside of those comfort zones. We're not bold enough to encourage our kids, yes, follow God wholeheartedly. Even if that could mean into danger. As long as you're following after what God has laid before you. And so here you have a mother who says, hey, God answered the prayer. God is faithful. God answered in his time, and then Hannah acted at the right time and for the glory of God. God, here's your son. Here's your next priest. She probably had no clue what God had in store for her son's life when she said, hey, I give him back to you. She probably had no clue when she poured out her soul before God the answer that God had and what God planned to do with the end, that answer. But God needed a mom that had her heart ready to release her child back to him so that he could use that child 
to do incredible things throughout the entire nation of Israel. So, that's great. What does it have to do with us? First of all, we need to look at around us and go, are there needs around us that are bigger than things that we can meet? We're, we are very quick to complain about things that are happening around us. Man, if these people did this or those people did that, then man, we could live in a much better place. But I'm reminded of what one, uh, Nick Ripken, in one of his books, wrote that, you know, we, we complain about, this is paraphrasing him, but basically we complain about all these ills going on within our society. But the one thing that's behind all of them is sin. Think about all the evils we have in our society. If we take care of the sin problem, then we begin to take care of all those problems. If we see people come and give their life to Christ, if we were to see a spiritual awakening take place across our country, a lot of the things we complain about would quickly disappear before our eyes. But to think about a spiritual awakening taking place in the United States is almost, it has been so long since it has happened in just incredible numbers that most of us weren't alive when the last major one happened. And so when we think about the fact that that could happen, it's, a, it's like a foreign thought. But you know what? We have to admit that it's a need that our country has that is much bigger than ourselves. So if we have a need that's bigger than ourselves, we need to go to a God that's bigger than our need. God wants to pour out revival in our country. He wants to pour out revival in our churches. But are we spending time with him? Is that a burden on our heart that we're willing to say, God, this is what we ask of you? God, we're willing to come together and just pour out our hearts before you. I was at the evangelism conference two weeks ago, and Stephen Kendrick was talking on prayer. And one of the things he made when he started said, most time, if you go to most churches and look at their prayer sheets, the majority of their requests are keeping saints out of heaven rather than sinners out of hell. And my hand froze going, wow. Most of it, and he, he prefaced, he went back and said, hey, if, if I'm sick, please pray for me. That, it, that it's nothing wrong, you know, with praying for Miss Jones or Mr. Smith when they're sick. But if all we're concerned about really is making sure our church members are well and have no passion for those that are lost and dying without Christ, what have we really become as a church? We should take the gospel to anybody and everybody we come in contact with, but the power that goes with us is found when we stop and spend time with God in prayer. So those needs, and so God wants to act, but we have to be willing to do, to do what he's called us to do. As I said, that power, though, comes from, God, from Christ. And the only way to have his power working in our prayers is that we first have to have a relationship with him. It's, it's amazing, though, you know, I'm not going to take the time this morning, but you can go back and compare the life of Samuel and find many parallels to the life of Christ. Samuel became the high priest, uh, became the priest for the people. Jesus Christ is our high priest. Jesus was the last great prophet as the son of God. Samuel was the prophet that pointed people to the coming of the Messiah. If you look in chapter 2 at Hannah's prayer, verse 10 of chapter 2 talks about 
going this anointing before the king. And one, you could say, well, that's just talking about the King David. Most scholars and theologians would tell you really that's more of a foreshadowing of him pointing toward the anointing of a coming of Messiah. The parallels that take place because God said, hey, I'm going to let a child go to the mother and the mother's going to release the child to be the priest for the people. And we have a God who left the glories of heaven and came to this earth and now ever sees as our high priest. But you know what? To have that relationship with him, same thing has to happen. We have to see that we have a need called sin. Sin has taken over our lives. And that the only way that we can have a relationship with God is to come to him in salvation. So we come to him seeing that, saying, I've got this need of sin. God, will you save me? Because you're the only one that can. Once again, we have a God that is bigger than our need. And the Bible says that for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That the Lord will act, and he will act for our good and for his glory. But here's the, and oftentimes that's where we stop. Praise the Lord, I've been saved. I realized I was a sinner. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I've confessed my sins. God has come in and he's met my sins. And God be glorified that he has saved me. But when we look at the pattern that's kind of formed through scripture, the next thing is then we must act for the glory of God. We now must then go and tell others what God has done in our lives. We must be willing to share that. We have to let it be so evident that other people began to see the need in Christ because they see that Christ is moving in our lives. So this morning, I could probably put on, the num- on, on a couple hands the number of times that I've been in First Baptist for a service. So I can honestly say, most of y'all, I don't know exactly where you are spiritually. There are probably people here who've never given their life to Christ. And Christ wants to come in and save you today. He wants to give, what we sang there at the end, no grave can hold him down. There's power that comes in the resurrection and that resurrected power is the power that he wants to give in our lives. But we have to admit that we need him first. Many in this room though probably have, have a relationship with Christ. Maybe have had one for years. Some of y'all may be the prayer warriors of this church. Thank you. I truly believe one day, and maybe out of just in my, my head for effect, we're going to stand before God. This is the judgment for those who have given their life to Christ. And we're going to see people like Dwight Moody and Billy Graham up there, and there's going to be great rewards for the many great things that they did in service to God. And then there's going to be this little old lady that's going to walk up behind them and everybody's going to be like, I don't know, who's that? And there's going to be this truckload of rewards laid down and everybody's going to be like, should I, should I know who that is? Maybe that's Lottie Moon, I don't know. And somebody's going to be like, no, that's, I, I actually met her once in a little church. She couldn't even go half the Sundays because of her health, but she prayed daily throughout the day for her pastor, for her church, for the lost, for missionaries. That just consumed her and God moved in power through her prayers. And many of y'all are here today because of prayers that came from that lady. You know what? Some of that may be where some of you are today, but you know what? 
I would be honest, a lot of us fall well short of spending any time with God in prayer other than maybe at meals, bedtime, and when heartache and troubles come up. If we truly want to see God working in the world around us, we're first going to have to get the desire that Hannah had. And whether that's on altars at the front of the church or in our comfort, you know, in a spot at home, that we've just got to get before God and let Him transform our lives so the world around us can be changed. As we pray, let our musicians come forward and prepare for a time of response. Father, we come to you and we thank you again for your word, for the truth that's found and the example we see in the life of Hannah who faced a circumstance that she couldn't change, but she knew that you could. God, we ask this morning that there are people here who need you to change their lives for eternal purposes. God, we also need you to change our hearts for the neighbors that are around us, for coworkers, for our neighborhoods. So you can move in the power of those prayers. God, you have the ability to do it without us, but God, for some reason, you choose to want to work through us. God, let us not be a barrier to what you want to see take place in First Baptist, in Malvern, in Hot Spring County, and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.